Hi, my name is Jessica, a volunteer here at New Life, and I'm so glad that you're here today with us. If you want more information or want to connect with the Life Group, go ahead and click the link below. But first, let's worship together.
All right. Hey, I want you to get your note-taking sheet out. Would you do that? And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the New Testament, to the book of Ephesians. It's a small letter. It's only six chapters long. Uh, The book of Ephesians um, in the New Testament, if you can find that. We're actually launching a brand new series today called One. And we're going to be looking at a key passage uh, that Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, talks to us and tells us about who we're called to be and who we've been chosen to be in Christ. So as we start this morning, let me ask this. Have you ever received an email or a note or a voicemail or a text or something that just really touched you? And you, I don't know what it looks like for you. Maybe you have a, a little box at your house or, or maybe you have a special folder in your emails or whatever. And you thought, you know what? I'm saving that because it was just, it just was so personal, right? I have a folder in my office of notes that people have sent me over the years that just really impacted me deeply. And every once in a while, maybe you do this, when you're feeling especially like bummed out, it's like, oh, let me bring those notes out again and see what someone else saw, right? Because you just, you just find encouragement in that. There's something powerful in that. Well, we're today diving into a letter that's like that. It's a love letter wrote to us about how to live as one in Christ, in deep faith and in unity together. And in this book of Ephesians, there is so much, so much here. And we're not going to go through every verse over these next six weeks, but we're going to take some time to dig down into some key passages. Because here's what I believe. We need to hear from the Lord. Individually, you need to hear from God. And I'm not talking about an audible voice, but from his word, that God would begin directing and guiding you in your own life and in your own heart. I need that. But we also need it as a church family. And I think as we dive into this, it could set the tone for the season ahead that God is preparing us for. And I gotta tell you, this, this letter of Ephesians, I love this letter. I have read through it multiple times and God has done some work in me through this letter. And my challenge to you is this, if you'll listen and if you'll open up your heart, if you will dig down, I think God will do something in you that maybe you never could have expected. I think if you can pray, God, I am open to whatever you want to speak to me, I'm open to whatever you want to show me, I'll do whatever you're leading me to do. I think you're not only going to fall in love with this letter to the Ephesians, but I think you're going to fall in love with God all over again. So here's the key passage in Ephesians that drives this letter in this series. Now we're going to get to Ephesians 1. This happens to be from Ephesians 4. And here's what Paul writes. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. There's one body, one one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is overall in all and living through all. Christ is inviting us to walk in this one singular direction of knowing, following, and trusting in him and, and to let that be reflected in how we live and we serve together. If you've ever read through any of the letters that Paul wrote, Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, on and on, he writes these letters and, and I will tell you, while he writes different things uh, in them, 
he has a style that he uses. And if you read these letters, you will know. He, he generally takes the first half of the letter and he digs down deep into what we believe and into the core and foundation of our faith. So this is when we begin to know who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us and what God has called us into. Some of these deeper things of faith, and you'll find it in almost every letter, he spends time solidifying this inner life, this inner faith we have with Christ. And then the last half of almost every letter becomes very practical. And it's like he's saying, now that you know who you are, now that you understand who Christ is and what he has done, now that you begin to understand these things, let it begin to move from the inside of you to the outside of you. And so in this letter to the Ephesians, he, he will end up at the end talking about what our marriage looks like and what our family looks like and how we respond in the workplace and how we respond uh, as even a supervisor in the workplace and how we treat our neighbors and how we face conflict. He'll, he'll talk about all of those things. But the foundation has to be set first of what we believe and who we are in Christ. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do in this series. I'm gonna encourage you to take notes. I know some of you are going, got it, Dave, right here. Give me blank number one, I'm with you, right? This is a news flash. You can actually write down more than just what's in the blank. Right? You can. And when something really hits you, when God is showing you something, I want to encourage you to write it down. And so you may have to write some stuff on the edges or I'm just going to go way out on a limb. You could like type it into your phone or have a notebook or something like that. It's, it's allowed. You, you can actually do that here. And so I want to encourage you to really kind of dig down deep in this. And I also want to challenge you to read through the book of Ephesians. It's not long. It's six chapters. It's probably about five pages in your Bible. Read through it several times because here's what's going to happen. You're going to start to catch kind of like the tune or the melody that flows through this letter. I've read it several times just in the last couple weeks. It takes about 10 to 15 minutes. It doesn't take long. And you can be reminded through this that we have one Lord, one faith that he invites us to step into and one family that we get to be a part of. So as we launch into this today, uh, I'm gonna take just a couple minutes and give you a little bit of background. So he's writing to the church, those, those followers of Christ in this city called Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a capital city for Roman provincials. It sat at the crossroads of the highways. So a lot of travel that was coming from other foreign countries would travel through Ephesus because it was also a major port. So you had the sea lanes and the overland kind of lanes that were coming together, which meant that this was where East met West. It was very affluent. There was a lot of diversity in this community. Different people groups, different religions, a lot of different social strata that was going on. All kind of diverse beliefs found acceptance and they found tolerance in the city of Ephesus. So when Paul is writing this letter to the believers there, they were in the midst of this cultural challenge. And he's writing at this key time when it would have been so easy for them to go, you know, we're just... We're just one of the religious items on the menu here. There's a lot going on. And so they would just settle into religion and they would miss all that God was calling them into. So Paul says, let me give you a word from God himself 
I want you to live in faith and unity. And so he writes this letter. Now, I know you may hear that and go, great, I'll put that somewhere in my trivia bank of things about Ephesus, but, but here's what I want you to catch, because there's another part of this that he was writing to a church who was watching their culture not just be diverse, but he was watching their culture splinter and fracture around them. There was tension between these different things that were going on. And I don't think it takes a huge leap for us to go, that kind of sounds like our world. It sounds a lot like our culture. When there's so much tension and conflict and splintering. And, and, and most of us look at what's going on in the world today, and you maybe even found yourself saying this, it's like 10 years ago, I never could have imagined some of the things that I'm seeing. And I don't mean that to be some kind of a, of a downer, it's just the reality that, that we live in. And so there's this crucial thing when this is a season where our culture needs the church to be the church. And I don't mean by that just to go to church. I mean to live into the church, which is what? To live as Christ's representatives here on earth. To be a light that shines. To, to not just recognize that the church is, is a building or a structure or a nonprofit organization, but it's you and me. It's people living in relationship with the one Lord, one faith, one family. And I will tell you, and you know this, our world needs it like never before. I went online, did a little, little research, finding some statistics, and here's what I found, that um, per year in the United States, there are about six to 750,000 divorces every year. Over one in four adults has a substance abuse addiction. There are over 48,000 suicides per year. That's about one every 11 minutes. And you and I both know if we got a whiteboard up here and just tried to brainstorm, we could come up with a lot more, right? Depression, anxiety, identity issues, violence, mass shootings, of which there was another one yesterday, the fentanyl epidemic, political divides, gender confusion, pornography, social media, and the list just goes on and on and on. And we look at our culture and we think, man, it's just coming unglued. But it's not just culture. Then we see it in our own families. And sometimes we see that in our own hearts. And it's into this, it's into this reality of the tensions between culture and my heart and my soul that God, through this letter that Paul writes, tells us how we can walk and how we can live in the middle of all of that. So if you're there in Ephesians 1, I want you to follow along with me. It says this, this letter is from Paul, chosen by God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. It is written to God's holy people in Ephesus, who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May grace and peace be yours, sent to you, here's the crucial line, sent to you from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul didn't want there to be any confusion about the source of this letter. And him going, yeah, I'm Paul, I know you know me, I've been there, we've hung out together, we, we did this all together as a family, but understand that even though God has chosen me, this letter is really sent to you by God. And for us, here we are 2,000 years later, can I tell you, don't gloss over that. They just go, oh yeah, 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 that's fine. This is God telling us some things that we need to hear. This is God telling us some things that we need to let permeate sometimes our, our shell and you know, the walls that we put up and to really hear 
from God in this. So I'm gonna ask you to do something a little bit different, which I know as soon as I say that freaks everybody out, like what are you gonna have us do? I'm gonna ask you to stand right now. Would you do that? Keep your Bibles or your phone or whatever you have, keep it with you, okay? And we're gonna do something a little bit unique. We're gonna read through verses three through five. They're gonna be up here on the screen. And we're gonna, we're gonna say them, read them out loud together. Now here's what's gonna happen. It's gonna sound like the people over there are like a half second behind the people over here. Don't worry about it, okay? Just keep going because I want you to hear these words, but I want you to speak these words. So let's read it together. How we praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we belong to Christ. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. Jesus, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us today. Let us hear from you in your name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat this morning. I want you to write this down for number one. My true identity can only be found in Jesus. My true identity can only be found in Jesus. I will tell you, this is one of the central themes of this whole book. And the question of identity is a central question to life, to understand who we are at a core level. And it changes the way we think and process and live, right? Your identity feeds into how you see the world, how you perceive the world, how you see issues and problems and conflicts, how you see the good things and the successes in life. All of these get centered around your identity. Because see, we all come to moments in life when our identity begins to shift. Because we could say, well, at some level, I'm, that was going to sound weird. At some level, I was going to say, we're a human being. But I think at all levels, we're a human being, right? But, you know, we could say, well, that, that's kind of a basis for this. But then there's so many more things, right? And there's things we accomplish and do that begin to shift. That moment when you realize that you're no longer single, that you are now a husband or a wife, boom, shifts your identity, or the reverse of that in a painful way. A marriage comes to an end and you're no longer a husband or a wife. And you can take the negative label that goes along with that and say, well, that's just who I am. I can't make relationships work. Now that may not be true at all, but we put that kind of piece into our identity. Well, that's, that's just me. When you get your diploma, whether it's high school or college or graduate school or whatever, there's this moment you realize, oh, I'm, I'm a graduate. There's no going back. You can't go back to high school. You're not going back to college. You, you've graduated. And now the world is kind of, you know, out in front of you. And you're going, what am I going to do with this degree? What's, what's going to happen with that? But there's been a shift in your identity. When you get that job, maybe now you're a teacher or a contractor or you're a real estate agent. And it's like, well, who are you? Well, I'm this. And what we tend to do when people say, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me who you are. 
We say, well, um, I'm married and I've got four kids, right? So I'm, I'm a dad, a part of that. I'm a pastor. Like I, I list all these kind of labels and descriptors, but is that really who I am? See, when that, when that baby comes, you're now mom or dad. And these identity markers give us definition in some way. And they're not all positive. You may have had someone in your life tell you that you'll never amount to anything, that you're a loser. Maybe you've struggled with addictions and so you say, I'm just an addict. And see, all these things we, we pile on and say, well, this is just who I am. And our culture even tells us that our identity can be decided on any given day just based on how we feel. And I'll just tell you this, that is shaky ground to be standing on. And in these moments when things shift, I have to take a look inside and go, well, wait, wait a minute. I, I, I'm losing some of the things I used to say is my identity, but it leaves me in this kind of adrift place, right? See, part of my identity was I used to be young. <laughs> and now I'm not. I don't want to go the other way yet, right? <laughs> I'm in between, I'm not young and I'm not old. And some of you are going, no, Dave, you're old, right? You know, but it's just like, yeah, I don't know if I want that as an identity marker, right? Some of you are sitting in this room going, but Dave, I am young. It's like, well, hang on. <laughs> hang on, because time keeps moving, right? And it's gonna shift. You see, we keep trying to figure out who we are deep down, but everything around us tells us that our identity is tied to what we do and the value that we bring. The position that we have or the accomplishments that we might have obtained. And, and those, those are okay, right? But what happens when life changes even unexpectedly? And it, like, where does that leave us? And I think as I said earlier, it leaves us on shaky ground. It leaves us with an unstable foundation of life. I have a friend who tells his story and he, he literally says this, I was three things. I was a husband, I was a father, and I was a teacher. His wife tragically passed away of cancer. Then he was diagnosed with a condition that left him unable to teach. And it left him with this, who am I now? Who am I when all these things shifted? I've heard people say that who come to crossroads in their life. I've heard that of people who retire and say, well, I used to be this and I don't know who I am now. Or if you're married and the kids grow up and, and, and move away and you look at this other person and go, wait, who are you again? Like, because our life was all centered around the kids and now I don't know who I am. I don't know who we are anymore. And some of you may be listening to this and thinking, babe, why does this matter to me? Because I'm fine right now. And I will say, that's great, but the question is, where does it leave you when life changes? When everything you've built your life on and your identity is somehow shifting or gone. See, we're so used to who we are being tied to what we do that it leaves us unprepared for the challenges of the deeper things in life. I want you to hear this. Our identity, my true identity, is not based on what I do or what I decide. My identity is based on who my creator says that I am. He gives me a true identity that doesn't shift and it doesn't fade and it doesn't change. You know what the Bible says about our identity? It says that in Christ, so this isn't my own effort, this is in Christ, I am loved, I am God's workmanship, I am a friend of God, I am his possession. 
He says that about me and he says that about you. He says, in Christ, you're a child of the Most High. You're a co-laborer with Christ. You're beloved by him. You are a light in the darkness. You are the salt of the earth. You're a citizen of heaven. Those aren't things that I manage or control or accomplish. That's who I am and who you are when we come to Christ. Now, why is this crucial? And why does this letter that Paul writes remind us of our true identity? Because he wants us to know and embrace the truth. Because here's what happens to me and to you. When I get into the middle of the storm, it's so easy to forget who I really am. When I'm in the middle of the fight or the stress or the tension or the insecurity or the fear, I forget who God says that I am sometimes. And Paul wants to remind these Ephesians and he wants to remind us again, this is who you are. And it becomes it kind of be, becomes the anchor for us in life. Ephesians 1, I'm going to read verse 11 and 12, but you're going to see it on the screen in the message translation because I love how it brings clarity to it. It says this, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he's working out in everything and everyone. God has his eye on you. So you want to know who you are? Deeper than being married or single or a kid or a student or whatever your occupation is. Do you want to know? Here's what Paul says. He says, you are chosen by God. You are chosen. I want you to write this down for number two, but I want you to personalize it. I am chosen by God. I'm chosen by God. Is there anything quite like the feeling of being chosen, right? When you were a kid and you wanted someone to be your friend, they said, hey, you want to be my friend? Remember that one? I wish it'd be so simple now, right? You just go up to someone, hey, want to be my friend? You know? <laughs> when you're a kid, you just do that. And it's just like, oh, yeah. Or you got chosen for a team or a dance or a job or for school. And I know some of us probably have some scars and trauma around that because we never were chosen. We didn't feel those things. But you know there's something within us that just longs, yearns to be chosen, to feel like there's, there's value and worth in us. So I, uh, you've heard me talk about my grandson. His name is Dax. He's five years old. And uh, back, I don't know, it was like months and months ago, uh, he and Gina were talking and Gina somehow used the phrase, hey, you're my BFF, which in case you don't know, means best friend forever, right? People text it and put it online and stuff. So he's like, well, what does that mean? She said, best friend forever. And, and Dax looked at Gina and said, you're my BFF. I was like, right, right. So then I'm there and it's like, am, am I your BFF? And, and Dax goes, no, no, you're not. And then he, then he said this, he goes, you're my ex-BFF. <laughs> and I'm like, so, so now I'm trying to logically do this with like a four-year-old, right? Trying to figure, it's like, so I used to be your BFF, but, but now I'm not, no, you're my ex-BFF. I said, what do you mean by that? And so basically it's like, <clears throat> you're just not the BFF. You know, it's not EX, it's just ex-BFF. It'll never happen to you. And so it's like, oh man, you know? So now I give him a bad time. It's like, am I your BFF? No, no. 
So back in the fall, we had a missionary come stay with us for a couple months while she was going through some training. And uh, her name was Amy, she's an amazing person. So she was in our house. And so Dax was over one time and, and anyway, he called Amy a BFF. It's like, hang on a second here. I'm your, I'm your papa, you know, I should be a BFF. I'm like, no, two weekends ago, I was talking to him and he said, I was talking to Gigi and you can be my BFF for this weekend. That's all you get. You, you, just get, you just get one. So I was like, oh man. But I'm telling you, as silly as it is, it is crazy and obviously my life, you know, uh, is not counting on BFF kind of stuff. But man, it felt so good to have my grandson say, you're my BFF, it's great, right? Like man, we love that. How much more does it touch the very depths of our soul to know that we've been chosen by an almighty God, that he chose you and he chose me. Look at verse four again. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Paul begins this letter by telling us that God has chosen and selected you, that you're the one he picks. And he's telling us that for everyone who has ever betrayed you, for everyone who has ever rejected you, for everyone who has denied you or disapproved of you, for those who have said and looked at you and said, you're not enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not worthy enough, you're not the right color, you don't have the right education, you're not from the right side of town, you're not, you're not, you're not. God says, you are you are chosen and you are mine. And Paul writes this letter to say this is the foundation for your identity. It, it, it becomes the kind of the, the central point, just like an anchor out of a boat. When the storm comes, that anchor kind of centralizes everything. God has chosen you. He calls you and he says, you're mine. And that begins to shift how we see all these things around us. It begins to shift how we see the world because when I'm chosen, I come from a different perspective. Now, I do this imperfectly and you do this imperfectly too. This is gonna be a lifelong journey. But knowing that I'm chosen becomes the antidote to my insecurity that I'm not enough because God has chosen me. See, you will never find security in the people around you. You'll only find it in Christ who has chosen you. And you start thinking about the fears and the anxieties that come up. And I know, again, we do this imperfectly. But it's like, does fear have a place in me when I've been chosen by God? Why can, how can I be jealous or envious of others and what they may have when I realize that God has chosen me to be the son of the Most High, a daughter of the Most High? Will we struggle with those things? Yes. But when I come back to Christ and the fact that he chose me, I have his truth to combat the lies of the enemy and the voices in my own head. Because you've been chosen and I've been chosen. Write this down for the last one. Why, why did he choose us? It's about being adopted. My adoption into God's family is permanent. My adoption into God's family is permanent. Look at verse five. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. So you know what's a crazy thing? Just like 
speaking of like language and how things are written, this is one of the most unique places in scripture from verse four to 14. Now it's not gonna show up in our English Bibles, but in verses four to 14 in the Greek, it is one long continuous run on sentence. And Paul was a smart guy. So he didn't just forget to use punctuation. He made one long continuous run on sentence because he wanted us to know more than anything else that God has identified us, that he has purchased us, that he's adopted us. He uses these phrases over and over and over again because he wanted us to get it. Now, Paul talks about adoption, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna conclude with this. And we sometimes wonder with a phrase like adoption, it's like, did they just kind of use that as a, as a way for us in modern times to understand what was going on here? The truth is that adoption was part of Paul's culture, and Paul selected this word very carefully because the Ephesians would have known about adoption in their culture. But there were understood parameters, legal parameters around it. When you adopted someone in that culture, it was a permanent transaction. So did you know in their culture, you could go and legally divorce your spouse? Kind of like what we can do today. You could also legally disown family members. You could literally, legally write them out of your life. There's no more connection between the two of you. Legally, financially, in any other way, you would completely make a break. But you could never in their culture disavow or disown yourself from your adoptions. Isn't that crazy? You could do it from your blood children, like those that you, you had produced, but you could not break that bond in an adoption. It was permanent and binding. So to adopt someone was to tell them, I want you and you are family forever. And God wanted you to know and he wanted me to know that you through Christ have been adopted into my family and you are now my sons and daughters. So get comfortable because you're here to stay. Paul starts this letter by reminding us of our identity. And he says, you never need to live outside in some false way but the true identity of who you are will always be found in Christ. You are chosen and a son and daughter of the Most High, so authentically be who I've made you to be. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. Would you bow your heads with me today? Father, we thank you just that you would choose us. And Lord, we strive and we do our best and we try to make life work, life work and, and put it together. And Lord, there, there is value in that. But Lord, we try to determine our worth by what we do. We try to discover who we are by, by putting a bunch of stuff into our life. And it's not all bad but it's always so shifting and changing. It's like building a foundation on sand. But you instead have called us to let our roots go down deep, to build on a solid foundation of you. That in you, we are deeply loved and chosen. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We have been called by you. We have been made a new creation. This is the true basis of our identity. And Lord, I pray that it would shift how we see the circumstances that we come across. That 
It would challenge my insecurity knowing that you, God, have chosen me. It would challenge my fear because, God, you have got my back. It would challenge my my jealousy and my envy of others around me when I realize you have given me all that I need. Lord, I pray today that you would establish something deep in each one of us. We thank you and we love you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? So as you head out into real life, right? We don't get to live here. We have to go out and go to school and work and family and home and all the things you're facing. You probably have a list of things you need to get done this weekend. And this week, there's things on your calendar, things that are, that are coming up that maybe cause you a little angst and, and worry. Can I tell you this? You've been chosen by God. In Christ, you are a son or a daughter of the Most High. And so as you go out and face those things, as you go out and engage in life, know who you are in Jesus, because it will shape the way that you live and act and speak and respond in this world. Go and read the book of Ephesians. 15 minutes is all it takes. Let it just seep into your heart and see what God desires to do in you and through you. Hey, thanks so much for being here today. God bless you as you go. Be a light in this world.